0: In a 1968 Reader's Digest article entitled Two Words to Avoid and Two to Remember, Arthur Gordon wrote the following Nothing in life is more exciting and rewarding than the sudden flash of insight that leaves you a changed person. And by changed, I mean changed for the better. Such moments are rare, certainly, but they come to all of us sometimes from a book, a sermon, a line of poetry, and sometimes from the insights of a friend. Gordon went on to talk about in that article a time in his own life when a certain project that was extremely important to him had failed miserably and he was terribly depressed about it. He called an 80-year-old friend who also happened to be a trained and skilled counselor and asked for an appointment. He said, I really need to come and talk to you. Well, they met for lunch and while they were eating, Mr. Gordon related what had happened and he was very honest about his bitterness about that particular failure and He took pride in his honesty because he laid the blame exactly where it belonged. He admitted that all the wrong moves had been his own. After a while, his friend said, Arthur, let's go back to the office. And when they got there, they put a tape in the recorder because that's what you did back in those days. And before pushing the play button, he said, now, Arthur, on this tape, there are three short statements made by people who came to me seeking my help. And I want you to listen very carefully and see if you can pick out the two-word phrase that is the common denominator in all three of these cases. Well, he played the tape. Arthur said that the only thing that he could see that, was that all three of those uh, discourses had in common was that each of those persons were terribly unhappy. The first was a man who had also failed in a business venture, and he was berating himself because he hadn't worked harder. He had not worked smarter. The second was a woman who was never married because of the sense of obligation she felt toward her widowed mother. And she was bitterly recalling all the marriage opportunities that she had had and and, and squandered. The third was a mother whose teenage son was in trouble with the law. And she was blaming herself for it. And the friend said, Arthur, six times in those recordings, there's that two-word phrase that's full of subtle poison. Did you see it? And Arthur said, no, I guess I didn't. And his friend said, that may be because you used that phrase yourself three times when we were talking a while ago the phrase is written on the tape box. And so he then tossed the box across the desk to his friend and there in big red letters were the two words, if only. You know, we think about that in terms of our own lives and the people we know. How frequently people began woeful sentences with the words, if only. If only I'd acted differently. If only I'd not lost my temper. If only I'd not been dishonest. If only I had not been so selfish. And we could make that list almost infinitely long. Mr. Gordon's counselor said, and usually people go on with that kind of talk until I get to the point where I say, if only you would stop saying, if only we might get somewhere. And Gordon said, okay, I, I, I can see that. Now, what's the remedy? And his counselor answered simply this, you've got to strike those two words, if only out of your vocabulary. And substitute another two-word expression, next time. If only, really doesn't change anything. It just keeps you looking in the wrong direction. Always looking backward at the mistake and feeling regret about it. But when you look to next time, you're showing a willingness to apply the lessons learned from that experience. I want you to consider three principles with me in just the next few minutes tonight that I think will help us keep looking to the future and not looking backward to the mistakes, the transgressions, yes, the sins, but will cause us to look forward victoriously toward a future that God can make better and that we can understand the potential that God has placed within us, the seeds of greatness that he has placed within each of us. Principle number one, I think, is foundational to all of New Testament Christianity. And that simply is this. People can change. I know from some of the things I read and hear from sources out in the world, there are a lot of people in our world that really don't believe that. They believe that you can't change a leper's spots and all the rest. But the basic message of New Testament Christianity, and that's one of the reasons why we spent the time this morning talking about how important it is that we share the good news with those around us, is that no matter where you are in life, No matter what you have said, no matter what you have done, the blood of Jesus Christ can cover every one of those sins. Jesus' blood can cover our transgressions and make us as white as the driven snow. Paul learned that lesson well, and that's why I chose Philippians 3, 13, and 14 as our text tonight. He lived by the principle of forgetting the past and looking expectantly toward the future. And in our text, I remind you, he said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Notice that Paul is living with spiritual confidence, but not overconfidence. I do not consider myself to have apprehended. That is, I have not arrived spiritually. I am not yet where I want to be and where God would have me to be. There's a lot of growing and a lot of maturing that needs to go on. I think all of us could say the same thing about ourselves, no matter where we are on our Christian journey. And remember that Paul hadn't always been that way. He had not always possessed that spirit, that attitude of humility. When he first came on the scene in scripture, he was a proud, arrogant, self-righteous man. In fact, he referred to himself as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was proud to be a Pharisee. He was proud of his Roman citizenship. And he was even proud of his involvement in persecuting Christians. And then one day, his whole world crashed in on him. And you know the story. You've read the biblical account. He had an encounter with Jesus that caused him to realize that the entire direction of his life had been wrong. By the way, if you haven't read that recently, I would encourage you to go back and reread what happened to Saul on that occasion on the the road to Damascus. You can read it in Acts, the ninth chapter, and then he recounts that conversion experience two more times before the book of Acts ends in chapters 22 and 26. And he tells us exactly what happened there. But he had that encounter that helped him to realize that he had been going diametrically in the wrong direction. And all of a sudden, he was aware that Christianity was right, that Jesus was in fact the Son of God, that the people that he had been persecuting were in fact God's children. His whole world was now in shambles. He was no longer living with arrogance and with a sense of superiority He now had a real problem in his life. In fact, a completely different problem, a set of problems that he had ever experienced before. Now his problem wasn't pride. His problem was despair. How could he live with himself considering all the things that he had done and how that he had persecuted God's people and how that he had led many to be incarcerated and even some to be executed? How could he keep from from living with guilt and regret to the point that he would make his, his life absolutely useless? Sidney Lanier was right. He said, my soul is sailing through the sea, but my past is heavy and hinders me. Paul knew what that felt like. And I wonder tonight, do you know what that feels like? Have you ever thought, I hate myself for the things I've done? I'm no good to anybody. Paul could have spent a lifetime saying those kinds of things. He could have said, if I had not persecuted those Christians, if only I had not been so proud, if I only hadn't been so set in my ways, but he didn't do that. He determined to forget the past and to do better next time. Remember in the Old Testament, the Bible, and this is, I think, as one author has pointed out, is a hallmark of inspiration. The Bible does not gloss over the faults... And the transgressions of even its greatest heroes. And it tells us in no uncertain terms that King David was not only an adulterer, but he was a murderer. But he didn't stay shackled to his sordid past. He said this in Psalm 32. I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip down to read verse 5 to complete the thought. And I, I believe these have got to be some of the greatest verses in all the Bible. Here's what David said about the reckoning, the recognition of his sin, his transgression, what he had done. Against people, but most of all against God. His words were, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. Then you did forgive me the guilt of my sin. I don't believe anybody has ever really been converted to the Lord until they acknowledged the exact same thing that David acknowledged. I recognize my sinfulness. I acknowledge that. I know I don't have my spiritual act together. I know that I will never be able to get it together without the assistance and the aid of the blood of Jesus Christ. Only when he infers his righteousness to me can I stand just before God. Then there's Simon Peter. When we turn to the New Testament, he denied the Lord not once, but three times. But he recognized his mistake. He he quickly moved back into the Lord's highway and into fellowship with him again. And he refused to spend his life saying, if only I had not done that terrible thing. Instead, he seemed to say, next time, I'm going to do better. That's principle number one. Principle number two is forget the following things. And I want to be specific for just a few minutes with you tonight. Because I don't want you to walk away from this audience thinking, well, he's right. There are things that we need to put away from our past and try to wipe them them out of our minds as best we can. I, I want to specify some specific things that God's word calls upon us to wipe from our book of memory. By the way, you've heard the story perhaps about an interview that took place with a successful executive. And the reporter asked, To what do you attribute your ability and your financial success? And the man said, well, to my my good judgment. Well, to what do you attribute your good judgment? He said, to my experience. To what do you attribute your experience? He said, to my poor judgment. And I think that's pretty much the way it is with all of us. All of us recognize that we've got some serious mistakes in our past. We're inevitably going to pull some pretty big blunders in our life. We don't always make the right choices, the right decisions, and you destroy your effectiveness if you constantly relive them, if you wallow in all the wrong things and wrong decisions that you've made in the past. You need to learn to learn from them and then forget them. Let me be blunt in suggesting a few of the things that you need to forget. Number one, you need to forget the stupid things you've said and done. By the way, I don't throw the stupid word around very loosely, but here's a place where I think it really applies. We've done some stupid things, haven't we? There are times you look back on some decision that you made, some action that you took, some word that you said, and you think that was just stupid. I don't know how in the world that I could ever think that or say that. All of us have done our share of dumb things. The, the only difference is some of us just don't like to talk about it, you know, but we all have. We're all guilty. Life is largely a matter of trial and error. And even with, with this guidebook, with this rule book, with this map from heaven to earth that God has provided, we're still going to make some mistakes. As long as our feet are on this planet, we're going to make mistakes. And, and, and we're not perfect, and we're not going to make perfect decisions every time. Nobody bats a thousand in the game of life. We, we learn by experience, and ideally poor judgment this time will mean better judgment next time if we use that experience well. Here's the second thing we need to forget. We need to forget the sins that have been committed that are forgiven. Now, I've talked about that several times from this pulpit, but we just need a refresher course from time to time. And please bear in mind that I'm talking primarily to those now who are already Christians, those who are my brothers and sisters in the family of God. We need to learn to do what to do in order to be forgiven, but just as important, we need to learn what to do with forgiven sins. I think that's where a lot of us struggle. We wrestle with what to do with the sins that have been forgiven. But we just can't get out of our minds. We just can't seem to forget them and put them behind them. Because it's a terrible mistake to go through life saying, if only I would not stumbled into that sin. It's good, it's healthy to regret that sin, to feel sorrow for it, and and to allow that to lead us to repent. But that won't get the job done. There's more to it than that. As you look back on, on what you did, you just can't understand how that it happened. But the reality is it did. Now, the important questions are, have you confessed that sin penitently to God? As John said, we must do 1 John 1 verse 9. Have you received God's forgiveness as you confessed that sin penitently to to God? And have you, to the best of your ability, made restitution for whatever sin that might have done to someone else? Now, if the answer to all three of those questions is yes, then you need to take the next step, and that's this. Forget it determined to forget it to put it behind you you cannot go through life living with any degree of spiritual success with a sense of moral failure that bag of rocks is too heavy to carry nobody can live life successfully carrying that kind of burden the only hope that you have is to accept the loving forgiveness of a gracious god no wonder we come and sing songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Those words, I hope, become more meaningful as we grow older. And the more we understand and acknowledge the seriousness of the weight of sin in our lives, but also the blessed, the blessed assurance that God gives to every one of us. And if we'll just approach that, as, as one brother liked to say, when we mess up, we fess up. As soon as we understand the sin, we acknowledge that sin, we confess it to God. But also we pillow our heads each night with assurance of what John said in that same First John chapter 1, this time verse 7. And that is if we continue to walk in fellowship with the Lord, he continues, his blood continues to cover all of our sins. That is even the sins that I'm not aware of. If I'm doing my dead level best to walk in the light, to walk in fellowship with God, I will continue to have that fellowship. That fellowship isn't broken. And the Lord will cover that sin with his blood. Isn't that a wonderful thought? To know that that even when we're not aware that I hurt someone, or that I did something wrong that I should have done right, that God is willing, if my heart is right, that he is willing to cover that sin with the blood of Jesus and That's why we don't have to be baptized every time we make a mistake. His blood just keeps on covering our sins every day. And so, that's what we have to deal with in our lives. The Bible extends that promise to every one of us. That, That promise can be ours. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, remember now this is to Christians. The first John 1, 9 passage that I referenced a moment ago is where John says, if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just and willing to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Take that to your spiritual bank for immediate deposit. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more, Jeremiah thirty one thirty four. And what about this one from the New Testament, Romans three twenty three? And here's why it's so desperate, so desperately needed that we believe that because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same spiritual boat. We need to know what to do with our sin, but we also need to know what to do when that sin has been forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus. Are we still allowing it to plague us and to hinder us from living victoriously for Jesus Christ right now? Here's the third thing. By the way, let me add this before we move on. You know what an alcoholic is, don't you? I, I think that there, there are people out in the world, and maybe there are some people in this building tonight who are guiltaholics. They're letting guilt ruin every opportunity for personal development and spiritual productivity. I hope you're not that way I hope you're trusting God for the forgiveness of your sins I sometimes feel this question in fact maybe among all the questions that I have received as a gospel preacher in private conversations this one may have may occur more more than any other that I've ever heard how can I know that I've been forgiven and my answer to that is basically two parts Number one, we need to remember that repentance takes place in the mind of man. Isn't that right? We, we make that determination. I've sinned. I've broken God's law. I've lived outside of his will. And so I need to acknowledge that. So repentance takes place in our hearts, in our minds. Forgiveness takes place in the mind of God. So how do we know we're forgiven? We take his word for it. That's the only answer I have. Because you're, you're not necessarily going to feel any different. The sun isn't going to look any different when it comes up tomorrow morning. We just have to take God's holy, divine, immutable word for it. That I will forgive you and I will wipe that sin away from you and you will never be held accountable for it again. I know this, there's no possibility of living a truly happy, gratifying life unless you come to accept God's forgiveness. And I think God's people need to hear that as well as do the people out in the world. Third, you need to forget the sins and the injustices that have been committed against you. That's a part of what we deal with, isn't it? Not just what you've done, what I've done, but also what has been done to us and against us. Every person who's lived for very long has been wronged. So how do we handle that? Well, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, here's what he said in Matthew 6, verse 12. This is how you should pray. Forgive us the wrongs that we, this is one version of it. This, forgive us the wrongs that we have done as we forgive the wrongs that others have done us. And so there is a relationship between my willingness to forgive people around me And God's willingness to forgive me. If I have an unforgiving heart, if I'm not willing to forgive other people, then God's not going to be willing to forgive me. And so that's a part of the process, an essential part of the process. And when we refuse to forgive, we're destroying the bridge over which we ourselves must pass. Joseph, that great Old Testament character. Don't you love reading about Joseph? I mean, you turn to the last one-third of the book of Genesis, and there's just one man, basically, who's highlighted and set out as an example of what spiritual living is really all about he was so upright and so honorable and so morally pure and his brothers were you know the story how cruel they were to him but in the end he forgave them as if they had never done him any wrong at all that just blows my mind i don't care how many hundreds of times i've read that account how that joseph could act as if they had never done him any wrong at all And then we turn to the New Testament, and we all have to acknowledge that Jesus is the perfect example of this quality. Looking into the faces of those who hatefully hung him on that old rugged cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Fourth, you need to forget those incidences that are past and gone forever, and things that you can do nothing about. In times past, I've talked to a young mother whose husband died of cancer at an incredibly young age. I've talked to a promising young man whose wife left him with their two children. I've talked to a businessman who was headed to, for bankruptcy. His life dream was to have his own business, but now he was going to have to declare bankruptcy. i talked to a teenager whose reckless driving cost three lives. Those incidences are hard to explain, much less to live with. But the past still has to be left in the past, folks, if if the future is going to be worth living. You can't get anywhere today if you're still bogged down in yesterday. And that's a biblical principle. That's a part of the text where Paul said that in his own life. Everybody needs a good mental wastebasket, don't they? We mentioned Joseph a moment ago. I love the reference in Genesis 41, verse 51. I think it explains to some degree how that Joseph could act as if his brothers had never done him any wrong at all. Here's what he said in the text. God has made me forget all my hardship. Wow. That's a mighty big wastebasket, isn't it? If Joseph was able to put all of that into a wastebasket and forget it, he's made me forget all my hardship. Do you think that somehow Joseph had a frontal lobotomy that allowed him to literally forget? No, we know better than that but what he was saying was that i don't dwell on it i don't factor that in to my living i don't certainly hold god responsible for it and and i can truly say that when i pillow my head at night i no longer hold a grudge you see that's wonderful, merciful things about god he built us with that capacity so that we can forget we can at least put it behind us maybe you remember when a person that you love very dearly died And there simply isn't any cut as deep as that. There is not any sorrow that that, that hurts quite so severely. You stand looking at the lifeless form of the one that you love so deeply, and you feel as if at that moment it's impossible for you to go on living life the way you've been living it. But after the passing of weeks and months and years, the ache isn't quite so excruciating. The sorrow is always going to be there. But the deepest hurt has been healed by time. Those are the four things you need to forget. Now, finally and quickly, the last principle that I wanted to share with us, and that is, and I believe this is a part of the text and we will indicate why, we need to learn to live by faith and not by fear. Not only is God merciful in helping us to forget the past, but he's also gracious in opening for us doors in the future. That is, he doesn't just close that door on our sins and our transgressions. He also opens other doors so that we might be able to fulfill our complete potential that he sees that he has placed within each one of us. But it takes real faith to walk through those doors, doesn't it? To believe that things are going to get better. And I hope that you have that optimistic outlook. After all, even a golfer thinks that things are going to get better when he gets to the back nine. We need, we need to have that spirit of, of positive optimism in our lives. Things can get better things will get better because the bible teaches that the opposite of faith is fear fear paralyzes while faith empowers listen to what the word says the word the lord is my light and my salvation whom shall i fear the lord is the stronghold of my life of whom shall i be afraid that's psalm 27 verse 1 some of us need to put that on our refrigerator and some of us need to put that in our hearts and in our minds first john 5 4 for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world: even our faith. We sang a song about that tonight. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans eight thirty one. For God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Second Timothy one in verse seven. Victory is born of faith, faith in Jesus Christ, the only one who has the power to make all things new. So let your faith in him lead you to be baptized tonight to complete the forgiveness of your sins if you've never done that. The Bible says from Acts 2.38 from Pentecost forward that that's one of the things, essential things that must be done. Based upon the sorrow and the repentance that you feel in your heart for the way that you've lived. Will move you and motivate you to confess your belief that Jesus is in fact the son of God. And the Bible says that when you're baptized, your sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you can can do exactly what we've been talking about tonight. You can forget the past, and you'll be a brand new person in God's sight. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's exactly what some of you need to experience tonight. So God offers you a beautiful future. No matter, no matter what your past may be. Don't waste valuable time and vital energy saying, if only I had not made such, a, made such a terrible mess of my life. If only I had not messed up my life and kept it in better shape. Trade those negative words in on these fresh, shiny new ones. Next time. Next time, with God's help, I'll do better. Learn to say with Paul, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forth to those things that lie before, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and do it now while we stand and while we sing.